Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to the podcast. Had a little picking session on Saturday. Um, going to tell you some about that here in just a minute. You may have wondered where I have been, but when you throw a picking, uh, there are a lot of things that have to be done when you are the host. And I, I spent a great deal of, of time simply mowing, which, as I've mentioned before, also usually involves doing some sort of repair work to the lawnmower. So I I did have to replace a belt on the lawnmower, did a whole lot of mowing, and just setting up, cleaning up. This big old barn here uh, accumulates a lot of just farm dust and dirt and junk that, you know, you're, you're carrying something, you just set it down. And you should have put it away, but you didn't. And then the, the whole center section is just full of card tables you took to a festival a year ago and just stuff everywhere. So I just decided to take a week off from pretty much everything in terms of business and, you know, my products and the podcast. I decided, you know what, I got a lot of stuff I need to do around here and I'm just going to do it. The weather's been very good. It's been just beautiful weather. I think this morning we were down to... Right about 49, 48, 49 degrees this morning. Just beautiful weather. Have had have had rain, so a lot of lot of little showers to dodge and that kind of thing. But but the evenings have been nice and cool. All right, so I want to tell you about this picking session, and then then I am I do have a little topic that I want to talk about today. Um, the picking session. I invited two guys who I played with for, well, I've known them since the mid-1970s, probably 75 or 6, when I met both of these guys. And they were, when I've talked in the past about the band Pony Express, it started in 79. Then there was a second version that started in 81 and ran through 83. Then there was a third version that started about 1998 up through about 2011. And these these two guys that I invited down here, um, I just haven't seen them in a good while. And uh, they were eager to pick. And so it was two guys who were both in version two and version three of the Pony Express. And uh, so I invited them down and called... Uh, the local crowd of pickers down here in Sumter County. And it just seemed like everybody was busy. You know, we've had a good turnout, but I'd, I'd never thrown the net wide enough to, uh, you know, see if any of the guys from around Atlanta wanted to come down because I didn't want them to drive two hours, three hours down here to find out that, you know, only two people showed up, you know, and, you know, we don't have a banjo player or, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, just just decided to do it again, and we really had a a great picking session. We had we had a guitar player, fiddle player, a guitar player who sings, 
fiddle player. We had two mandolin players, had a banjo player, and I played bass. And, you know, a handful of singers among them. Well, the, the two guys from Atlanta, I said, come on down early, you know, uh, on Saturday. So they got down here about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it wasn't too long till just the three of us were sitting around just playing fiddle tunes. And I pulled out, I've got a little book where I, I write down the fiddle tunes that I write. And I always want to hear Mike play them. <laughs> so I pulled them out and he started uh, going through putting a proper rendition on some of these tunes that I have written. We messed around doing that and just talking. It's just so good to, to see the guys again. You know, bluegrass is not all about the music. The music is, the, is like the reason or the excuse, I should say, for getting together. It's just something you do together. And it's a common interest. Everybody loves it, but they have their own interests. Uh, speaking of me and the fiddle player and the guitar player, we have the common interest of bluegrass. I mean, we played, you know, a weekly gig for eight years. That's a lot of picking. You know, that's, uh, what is that, like 400 gigs? Um... So we all shared that same common interest of bluegrass, but we all have other interests too. With me, you know, I've talked about many of the things I'm interested in and other things I do like flint napping and gardening and messing around here on the farm and building instruments, repairing instruments. Just, you know, th that's the stuff I've talked about. Well, these guys have things too. Um, the fiddle player, for example, is... Um, a very knowledgeable expert on Civil War history and artifacts. And then the guitar playing guy, these are the two guys, you know, from Pony Express. He is really, really into, um, I don't want to say hot rods, but uh, restored classic cars, I guess you might say. And even going back to when he was in high school, and he was born in 1936, so you could figure out about when he was in high school, he was renowned for his, his skill at pinstriping, painting those little perfect lines and swirls and flames and all that stuff with a Russian uh, squirrel tail brush. Steadiest hand you ever saw. So that's, that's his thing. There is no telling how many motorcycle, fender, and tank sets that guy has pinstriped. Amazing. It's just amazing what, what variety of things people are into. And all these guys are really into bluegrass, too. But then it's always like I'm always fascinated by what's the, what else do you do? You know, I, the farrier was out here the other day working on the donkey's feet. And we're just standing there talking while he's working. And I ask him, you know, what else do you do? What, what are you into? You into fishing, hunting? What, what else do you do? And we get into this conversation. I'm always very curious to hear because 
you often run into people and you think you know them, but then you get to know them a little better and you inquire as to what, what their interests are and their knowledge is and their skills and their experiences and how they make a living. And invariably you discover that people who you had a sort of one dimensional view of like, oh, he's that, that good fiddle player. You don't realize many times until you really get to know someone that they've got this whole other thing that, that they just have a massive amount of knowledge and love for and interest in. And it's, it's really fascinating to me. So anyway, we sit around and we pick and the, uh, the Sumter County guys were coming at seven o'clock. So at six o'clock I started cooking and Jackson was out here and, and we had, uh, we had a meal together as the guys arrived, everybody was eating food and then we picked. So we'd been picking on and off from three o'clock in the afternoon and a few of the guys started going home about 10, 11 p.m. And uh, we finally wound down. I, I gave up at 2.30. I just, I, I was worn out. But uh, Mike and Buddy were still sitting there in the barn with a guitar and a fiddle playing fiddle tunes. At at least 3 o'clock, I fell asleep. Uh, we set up a camp out here with tents and a little camper and stuff like that. And we're just basically um, pretending it's a bluegrass festival. And, and frankly, what we did on Saturday was exactly what I would do at a bluegrass festival. The only difference being I wouldn't trudge down to the stage to see some, you know, well-known act or see some local band player. You know, there was no performance, but it was the camping, the telling jokes, telling stories, swapping lies, picking, picking, and picking. And it's what I really love about bluegrass. I mean, I love a lot of things about bluegrass, but I love that let's get together and pick. And by the way, I was very happy to see that the uh, Doyle Lawson Bluegrass Festival was perf happened this past weekend. I would have, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I certainly did consider going up. That would have been good. Good to see people um, getting back to a little bit of normal here. <sighs> anyway, so spent the night Sunday morning. I get up with Carl and I hear him out there crowing right now. I get up and I know they stayed up later than I did. So I want to have a pot of coffee going. So got all that fixed up and I started cooking breakfast. And uh, John, who was there the night before, very late, came back on Sunday morning after church, stopped by right about the time we were serving up the grits and eggs and sausage, toast. Jackson, I sent him into the house with a loaf of bread. And I said, just toast up a big old stack of this bread and butter it all and bring it out here. Because I was, I was basically cooking breakfast on a one, one electric eye hot plate. And I had to juggle food and keep it hot. And it was very much like what I would do at a bluegrass festival. So Jackson came through with the toast and John showed up with an armful of bottles of homemade cane syrup. 
And uh, anyway, we just had a great time. It was wonderful. And while I'm sorry that I didn't put a podcast out out last week, um, I'm not sorry that I did what I did, you know. It's kind of like skipping school. Sometimes you just don't feel like going, you know. And that's sort of the way I was last week. I just thought, I'm going to do this picking. And if you were around here, I would have called you. Anyway, get a little philosophical about this sometimes. Um, Buddy, when he was getting ready to go, he said, you know how we used to go up to Larry's all the time and we'd have these three-day pickings. And he said, Larry used to tell me that there was always sort of a, he'd get a little blue and a little little sad when it was all over and when he saw the last guy pull out you know there'd be like 40 guys up there for four days uh having this uh, what they used to call trout week and it would finally wind down and you know he'd shake the last hand and see the last guy pull out and then it was all over and, and my i get the same feeling you know when everybody left you know, Sunday around noon, and I was just sitting around, and that music is still ringing in your in your head, and you're also thinking about, you know, how good it was to see everybody, and good to see everybody's, you know, doing well, and and then you, the best solution for that sort of feeling of emptiness, while you're still enjoying, you know, you're still kind of in that cloud of, man, wasn't that great? But what I tend to do is immediately start thinking, all right, that was good, let's do it again. You know, so I start plotting and planning the next one. It's like I've told the guys in the Pluck Tones before, you're not a real band if you don't have a gig, at least one gig coming up, something on the calendar. If you don't have anything on the calendar, you ain't a band, anyway. And just having that one date out there, even if it's six months off, you know, you got this wedding rehearsal you're going to do something, you know, you can legitimately say you are a band. Anyway, um, we just had a great time, and I apologize for no episode last week. A couple little bits of house cleaning, then I want to talk about the kind of short um, topic that I have in mind for today. And... That is the forum, the Grass Talk Radio Forum that I started. And again, it's a very quiet place if you're a little overwhelmed with all the constant bickering and arguing and pontificating and agitating and all the things that you see on social media. You won't find them on Grass Talk Radio Forum because pretty much there's not hardly anybody over there. And I've encouraged people to go take a look at it and... As I described in a previous podcast, I want this to be a place where if you have a comment, you have a question, you have a topic suggestion, post it there. And that'll be a place where all of you who listen to the show can see the same stuff. You know, I said people will send me an email and then I'll write this lengthy response to them and send it back. But I'm the only one that saw it and the reader is the only one that saw it. But there might be 20 other people interested in the question and my sometimes ridiculous answer or sometimes well-thought-out good answer. But it's just a place we can do that in public without, you know, 10,000 interruptions 
you know what I mean. It's like I, I sometimes will get people to put a question in a YouTube comment for a video that I did in 2007. And they'll ask me a question like, I'm not going to that video every day looking to see if some guy's got a question. I'm sorry. I, sometimes I, I'll, I'll get one of those and I'll go, I don't even remember that video. But there it is. I did it. So it's there. But that's not a good place to ask a question or even leave a comment. What are the odds I'm going to see it? You know, I've often said there'll be people one day commenting and asking me questions about some YouTube video long after I'm dead and gone. It's like, come on. So hop over to the Grass Talk Radio Forum if you haven't checked that out. It's very simple to sign up. You just create yourself a username and password, and you're in, and you'll figure it out. It's not rocket science. And uh, how do you find it? Super simple. Go to grasstalkradio.com. And right there at the top, there's a little banner that says Grass Talk Radio Forum. Click that. And that will explain the whole thing. All right, so scope that out. Also, very quickly, want to thank the people who have purchased any of my instructional materials. I do appreciate that. And the patrons over on patreon.com slash Bradley Laird, who keep this show moving and grooving. <laughs> I think uh, that was an Ernest P. Worrell line. Anyway, thank you. Everyone, I do want to mention that uh, there are three new products, or three, well, three new products in my store where you can purchase and download my instructional material. I was digging through, looking at my list of mandolin video lessons, and I was just going back, um, checking links, and just making sure the demo videos were still there and all this stuff. Just kind of, I hadn't looked at that page in a while. So I'm going through it and I get to the final two video lessons on the entire list of about whatever it is, 60, 70, I don't know how many it is. And I click the links and I realized that I never put them in the store. They still link back to an old website who used to sell them over on Watch and Learn, but had revamped their site and it was dead links. So there were two lessons, the final two lessons on my checklist that if you clicked them, you're going to have a hard time finding them. So I uploaded those two lessons. So if you've been through all my lessons and you need something more, uh, go check these two out. They are called Stealing Jazz Licks 1 and Stealing Jazz Licks 2. It's a two-part little series. And the basic gist of the lesson is I took some jazz guitar um, licks and solos and applied them to the mandolin. And in some cases showed you how I might modify them to make them a little more mando-friendly and, and so on. So if you're interested in, you know, scoping out a little bit about um, how jazz guitar might apply kind of in a bluegrassy setting or jazz setting on your mandolin, check them out. 
you just go to uh, go to my store, which is at payhip.com slash Bradley Laird. And you will find them right there on the, on the main page because I just uploaded them. So they're going to be pretty close to the top. Anyway, it's called Jazz. I'm sorry, Stealing Jazz Licks 1 and Stealing Jazz Licks 2. And I think you will enjoy them if you are a mandolin player. All right. The other thing I want to mention about the store um, is that I have also added to my store my son Jackson's second music EP that he has released. He did, you know, he's creating all this music. It's not bluegrass, I'm going to tell you. But he doesn't have a good way to, he, you know, he can't accept PayPal and things like that. He's too young. Um, so I just put his product on in my store. So you will also find there his latest EP. And if you've listened to any of his stuff before, I encourage you to go check it out. It's very good. This one is a six-track EP. The entire length is 26 minutes. And when I listen to this stuff, you know, I used to sit around and think, man, if I could ever get this kid to play some bluegrass, boy, wouldn't that be great? But then I listen to what he's creating, and I'm, I don't really care anymore. You know, He's creating such good music. He's doing things that I couldn't even dream of. And he's only 12. Go check it out. He, unlike me, he sets the price on these things at pay what you want. So you can leave the price at zero and get his six-song EP. You have no excuse. You can also, you could pay $1,000 if you want. You can set the price to anything you want and uh, scope out Jackson's musical creations. They're pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Now, finally, and very shortly, I want to talk about something that used to come up quite frequently. And I was talking about Pony Express playing that steady Thursday night gig for eight years. And this topic used to come up all the time. Somebody in the band, or maybe in the audience, you know, friend of the band or something would say, y'all need to do some new songs. Or, you know, one of the guys in the band would say, we need to play some new stuff. We just play the same old stuff over and over and over. We need some new material. And my response would generally be, well, we need to rehearse then. We need to get together and start rehearsing. Because basically once we got the steady Thursday night gig, we didn't rehearse very often. We used to rehearse before we got the steady gig, but, you know, for some of the guys, it was too much of a commitment to be doing two nights a week. So the rehearsing just kind of went by the wayside, and we had basically four, four and a half sets worth of rehearsed up music, and we would pull out three of those sets each week with some variety because sometimes we'd have guest musicians, and, you know, there was some variety but I was never a big fan of just playing stuff that we'd never worked on. You know, I don't want to hear, you know, harmony singing that hasn't been worked out, where you're bumping into each other's parts and, and you're guessing and you're missing things. And 
you know, somebody doesn't know the chords, and it's just not a professional way to perform, in my opinion. So that's why I was usually on the side, look, people come here to hear us, and they come week after week after week, and they're hollering for certain songs. Play them. They came here to hear that song because they were here before and they liked that song. You know, like some guy really liked that song, The Tattooed Lady. He didn't come here to hear something else just because you're bored, you know? Sometimes you got to play the same stuff over and over and over. On the other side of the coin, it is good to change it up, bring in new stuff, try new songs. So there's that debate. Doing the same thing over and over versus doing something new. And like almost every issue, I come down on both sides. You should do both. But I want to talk about in particular, the advantage of being willing to do the same old thing over and over and over and over and over. I've said before, I think it is impossible to play a song the same way twice. I don't think it's possible. If you look at it, perhaps on an infinitely small scale, if you zoom in close enough, you will find a difference between every repetition. I've said there's no way I could play old Joe Clark 10 times in a row the same. Impossible. I couldn't even do it twice in a row the same. Now, if you zoomed way out, you might say he played it exactly the same. It's, it's, it's the same. But if you zoom in and you really pay attention to the little things, it's always different. So I sort of disagree with these people that, that think, I feel like the people that always want something new, they're just kind of zoomed out. And they're going, they're thinking in terms of like, God, we're all, we always play Blackberry Blossom. Can't we play something new? We always play Blackberry Blossom. But those musicians who zoom in, or the audience, and sometimes you have audience members who are really zoomed in, they realize that if you played Blackberry Blossom every week for 10 years, there are little differences. Sometimes it's really super clicking and hot, and other times it's the tempo's a little different, or man, the fiddle player, he is on fire tonight, or did you hear that guitar run? Oh, man. You know, all those little micro moments that you can only experience if you're willing to do the same thing over and over. And another way that you can look at this, do the same thing over and over, is I've had many, many students, and frankly, I've been guilty of this myself, who refuse, they get bored with their own play. They refuse to do something over and over sufficiently to get to become really good at it. They get part way there. Like, you know, you got some guy learning a fiddle tune or you pick or singing a song. It, it's all avenues of playing. If you're a bass player and all you do is play the bass, and you play these same songs over and over, can you do it perfectly? Not only perfectly, but can you devise a line, bass lines, and 
rhythm accents and runs and things like this that to you is perfect, that is the best ever. And then, well, why can't you do it a little bit more? Why can't, you know, you will never accomplish that unless you were just God's gift to the universe, musically speaking. There are those few um, alien life forms, you know, like Chris Thiele and so on, and a, a fairly long list of people who don't seem to need to be able to do that. Um, but we mere mortals can greatly benefit by saying, I'm going to play this song until I am truly happy with it. And not divide your time so much. You know, it, I, nothing I hate worse than hearing somebody play a song and you know, you just know, and they know oftentimes that you're almost there. You almost got it. There's, there's still something not quite happening. Not sure what it is. Maybe if I taped it and listened back to it, I might hear it. You might figure it out, or maybe you just need to put more time in on it so that you're running more on your subconscious mind rather than your conscious thoughts. Because that does tend to get in the way of mastery. It's very important to use your conscious mind in training the subconscious. I've talked all about that. Surely I have in all this time. But I think a lot of people, they stay too zoomed out rather than zooming in, and they simply don't stick with things long enough to um, bring them up to a really high level. And like I say, I've been guilty of that. There are other instances where I'm not guilty of that. There were, there were certain solos that I used to play in either Cedar Hill or Pony Express where I went to great pains to make those eight bars become precisely what I wanted them to be I rarely achieved it. And that, that's another interesting thing about this, is that it is a moving scale. If you are going to apply this principle I'm talking about of keep doing it over and over and over and over until you're happy with it, is there's a little funny thing that sometimes you're never happy with it because as it improves, which means you're improving, your goal moves ahead of you. It's always moving ahead of you. It's like walking down a railroad track and you see that point on the horizon where the track just seems to merge with the horizon and you keep walking towards it all the time, but you never get there. And that's, that's the way this is. Uh, this uh, came up uh, Sunday morning. Uh, Mike, our fiddle player who came down on Saturday, in his ramblings about with all this Civil War artifact and cannonballs and all that sort of stuff, he also has kind of a side interest in Indian artifacts, you know, finding an arrowhead or a piece of chipped chert or flint. But he's not just eat up with it like I am. So when he came down, it's interesting how the guys... Practically everyone who showed up had a little something that, that here, I want to give you this. I want to give you this. Um, swapping plants, um, pecans, pickles, syrup. Well, anyway, Mike shows up and he's got a little cloth bag and he says, here, Brad, I brought you something. 
And I, I can feel that flint in that sack kind of jingling and clinking together. I'm like, ooh, in the morning, let's open this up. I want you to show me what you got here. So we get up in the morning. We're looking at these, uh, just a couple of arrowheads and some, some preforms and stuff that he had found or somebody had given him, or I don't, I don't know the full story of each individual piece. It's like just a handful, five or six pieces. And we got to talking about flint napping. And flint napping is very much like this thing about practicing and individually and as a band and doing the same thing, the same essential goal over and over and over, but it always comes out different. We got to talking about flint napping. And he's like, man, I, I would really love it if one day I could just come down here and we just spend a whole day and you show me how to make arrowheads. I said, Mike, I'll do it. Just, just let's just pick a time. I'll do it. And I took him back in the back part of the barn where I've got a, a pile of flint, uh, obsidian, novaculite, dacite, Burlington shirt, some Albany, Georgia flint, Texas shirt. I got this pile of rock and flakes and just all this raw material sitting there. And I'm just digging through the piles and boxes and showing him stuff and showing him the tools and the pressure flakers and the, the antler percussion batons and all that stuff. And I'm like, here, let me, let me show you, Mike, real quick. And I, I pick up this half-done uh, obsidian arrowhead. And I'm like, here, just, let me just show you here. And I just sat down there in front of him and Buddy, and I started just pressure flaking this arrow point. And just you know, tell them a couple things about it. And, you know, well, like you want to do this. You want to abrade the edge. And it's like, why do you do that? Well, you do that so the edge won't crush and you get a step fracture and blah, blah, blah. Well, this same sort of thing, it, it came up in the conversation. He's like, how many arrowheads have you made? I said, I don't know. Well, I mean, thousands, thousands. And so I went in my tack room and I brought out a tray. I said, here's some of them. And when you look in this tray, if you're zoomed out, you know, just casually looking at it, you go, that is a whole bunch of arrowheads, and they all pretty much look the same. But then you get to looking closer, and you realize that there's a bunch of different styles here, and there's some different materials here, and there's different shapes. There's different notching patterns. There's different, some are thinner, some are thicker, some are more triangular. Some are, there's a lot of variety there. But if you zoom out, you just go, oh, that's a box full of arrowheads. But when you're making one, it just like when you take your solo on that dobro or fiddle, or you're trying to learn a new tune, I presume when you sit down to create your music or you sit down to chip an arrowhead or build a chair, that you want to do it well. That's your goal. And you've got this vision in mind of what you're attempting to create. And so the flint napper sits down, looking at the piece, working it, making errors, new problems occur, nothing worse than a series of step fractures. And I'm not going to try to explain flint napping in depth here, um, but I want you to know that this process 
ends the same way every time. Sometimes you're extremely happy with what you've done, but if you look at it closely, like I, I might finish that arrowhead and hand it to Buddy and say, there, what do you think? And he may look at it and go, that is, this is amazing. And that's very much like when maybe I'm playing a gig at the red light or something, and as soon as we take a break, somebody from the audience comes up and goes, man, Brad, your mandolin, you were killing it tonight. He just is so impressed. And I'm thinking just the opposite. I'm like, I screwed up the kickoff to this. I totally forgot what key I was in on that song. I said, what are you talking about? Now, I wouldn't actually get into arguments with people about this. I would just say, hey, man, thanks. I appreciate that. But in my mind, I know it could have been better. Because when you're making an arrowhead, it's a thousand steps to make this little two-inch razor-sharp arrowhead. But you got these certain goals in mind. You want the flaking pattern to be even. You don't want, uh, well, I won't describe all the possible errors. You certainly don't want to break it in mid-process, halfway through, and one wrong move and you snapped it in half. But when you get all done, you sort of grade it in your mind like, man, that may be the best one I have ever made. But then you look at it and you go, however, if I could have got those notches a little thinner, a little narrower, but it got to the point where I simply couldn't do it without risk breaking it, maybe I need to sharpen my pressure flaker, you know. And so you, you analyze it, and you, then the next time you start again. And you're trying again. You're always trying, trying, trying to produce that perfect piece, but you never do it. Because the most, I've looked at, I've gone to some flint napping shows and looked at some of the work of guys who have spent a lot more time than I have with it. I'm just, I just something I mess around with. There are guys that they mess around with this the way I mess around with bluegrass. That's their main thing. And I look at these and I'm like, if I could ever do that, oh my God, if I could ever do that, they're thinking the same thing. They're thinking, yeah, but, you know, uh, I, if I, uh, this and that. Everybody has that little self-critical nature. And you should have that to some degree if you want to remain on that continuum of constant improvement. But you can't let it overcome you to where you are just beating yourself up and being too self-critical and saying, I can never do this. My wife made an arrowhead one time, she, you know, and chip, 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 chip. There, I'm done. You know, just kind of hack this piece of flint out in the shape of a triangle with some notches. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty nice, honey. And she was done. That was it. Made one arrowhead. I put her initials on it and threw it in a box. It looked like one of the first ones I ever made. But she just doesn't care. She don't want to make arrowheads. She doesn't want to play the banjo either. But she's got her own things that she's masterful at. If you want to be really good as an individual musician or as a band, 
You need to do the same things over and over and over, but then occasionally try something different. But strive for that perfection and know that you're never going to get there. Sometimes for that moment, you're going to go, I did it. This, this is, this, that was great. I was, I was talking to the guys about jam sessions. How many countless picking sessions, jam sessions that I have been in? And Buddy and I were talking. And he and I agreed that we could count on one hand, maybe on three fingers, the really greatest jam sessions we ever had. That doesn't mean we didn't enjoy them all. Well, there are probably a couple that we didn't enjoy. But they're all good. But some of them are a little better. And then there's that one or two or three that just stand out in your mind. It's like, we'll never top that. And sometimes that goes for performances too. Pony Express played one time at the Peach Blossom Bluegrass Festival. Warmed up backstage, walked on, hit the first number. And I'm telling you what, I have never heard that band sound that good before that day, before that song, or after. That song was the, the best I ever heard that band play. And everybody in the band thought so too. And we've never forgot. We still talk about that. You know, do you remember that time? when It's just the magic happened. But if I had a tape of it, I could probably listen to it and hear about four things that I wish had been a little better. You know what I'm saying? Strive for perfection. And know you'll never get there. And, you know, of course, don't be a jerk about it, you know. Like, you have to accept the fact that, eh, you know, you ought to hear the tape. I recorded uh, our about an hour of our jam because my the little recorder here that was sent to me by a listener, this handy H4N recorder made by Zoom, I just set it out there. I set it on the table of the bandsaw and turned it on when we started, once everybody got there and we started. Well, the disc was pretty much full because of all these podcasts I've recorded on it and I'd forgotten to erase the disc. So I only captured about an hour, which is probably good. That's enough because I wouldn't have had time to go back and listen to five hours of that stuff. But I did uh, record. Didn't tell anybody. I just sat it over there and turned it on. I don't think anybody even knew it was there. And I forgot about it. And the disc went full and it just shut itself off. And, uh, but I have it. And I went back and listened. And some of the things that I thought were really great in the moment... I went back and listened to it. I was like, whoa, that, that was pretty good. That wasn't, wasn't great. But then there were other things that I didn't even notice that happened that I heard on tape. And I was like, oh, man, that was really good because your focus changes. Sometimes you're not really paying attention. You're, you're thinking about a chord and the guitar player hits something and you didn't even notice it. You may have felt it. Your subconscious may have noticed it, but you didn't really actively hear it. You know what I mean? Anyway, tapes can be useful, but don't beat yourself up too bad because mostly you're going to, it's always going to sound a little worse than you thought. Hear that crop duster going over? Yeah, that thing always reminds me of like uh, 
Pearl Harbor or something. Not like I was at Pearl Harbor, but I've seen movies, you know. Um, those, those prop planes, are they can be pretty loud when they come right over the treetops. Anyway, that's it for this week. I hope you guys enjoy this goofy little podcast. I know I do. Oh, and I am going to go out. Uh, the music, the outro today, I'm just going to grab a, I don't know, a little bit of the picking and uh, just, you know, play a little, um, a little captured audio from Saturday night. And you know what? Like I said before, if you lived around here, I would have called you to come over too. It'd have been fun. Anyway, I'll be back in the next episode. Y'all take care.